0: Welcome to Psychodrama. This is your co-host Katie Gordon, and
1: this is Leo Valija, which rhymes with tortilla or quesadilla. How are <laughs> you feeling today, Katie? Tortilla or quesadilla?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go tortilla. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I I am really excited to share this fascinating discussion that we had with Dr. Bedford Palmer with our listeners.
1: That's right. Uh, yeah, it was a, such a great discussion that we ended up making it two episodes. So this episode is part one. First, we talked about Dr. Palmer's interesting pathway to become a psychologist. Then we talked about uh, what it's been like for him living at this particular time, during a pandemic, and during the current political atmosphere. Then Dr. Palmer then talked about what it's meant by the term of racism pandemic, and shared his thoughts on Kanye West, uh, his mental stru- mental health struggles as an artist, and his political aspirations.
0: Before we get to that conversation, I'll introduce Dr. Palmer to our listeners. Dr. Bedford Palmer is a chair of the counseling department at St. Mary's College of California, a licensed psychologist, consultant, and author of the fantastic children's book, Daddy, Why Am I Brown? I first learned about Bedford's work through the podcast that he co-hosted with Dr. Lamisha Hill called Naming It which focused on current events and pop culture through the intersection of psychology and social justice. In 2018, naming it was recognized by the American Psychological Association Society of Counseling Psychology, and they gave the best-in-practice address. When Leo and I started talking about recent news about Kanye West and other current events focused on mental health among Black men, it reminded me of the type of topics I love to hear discussed on naming it. We're thankful that Bedford agreed to join us on Psychodrama to share his expertise. Now let's jump right into part one of our conversation. So, Bedford, what led you to a career in psychology and the specific areas that you focus on?
2: Well, um, you know, it's kind of a a winding road that that led me to to being interested in psychology. That actually, it's it's funny because you know you come into college and um you have these ideas of who you want to be and my first choice going in as an undergrad i went to uc irvine um and i was one of the pre-med major folks you know mm-hmm, i, I was mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. physician and do all that stuff i actually was i know it's taboo but it's still part of my childhood so i'm gonna own the show even if i don't believe the, the <laughs> it's a good guy but like i was highly influenced heavily influenced by the the shows produced um from the cosby show and sure a different world and so, in my head, I thought, "Hey, here's a black dude who's a doctor. He's married to a lawyer. This looks like what you need to do." So, yeah. I, she was a lawyer, so I guess I got to be a doctor. And I mean, <laughs> it really, I mean, I like science and stuff, but I, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, and it turned out that even though I really love biology, I, I did not really enjoy chemistry, especially in a oh space God, where you're yes. being weeded out. I mean, you know how it is in some of the larger research institutions. They like. Yeah they're built so that if you ain't super committed, you ain't gonna make it. You know yeah, you know? I, yeah. It was a mar-
1: I was a marine biology major too and I was like chemistry just bore me to tears and especially at eight o'clock in the morning. So I was like, you know yeah. what, let me just <laughs> Yeah,
2: so like, I, I thought, um, you know, I was coming in and I was like, okay, I'll be a physician. And then in some, for some reason, I also had this idea of being a counselor or a psychologist, but I, I, I literally forgot about that for all of my college career. <laughs> I didn't think about it again once I got into the pre-med piece. Um, and I ended up doing. Uh, I I I went for two years doing the premed piece. I realized that like I I just did not want to work in a lab with pipettes and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so I decided to switch over. And I took a environmental studies kind of major. It's called uh, it's called uh, environmental analysis and design. Yeah. And so there was a public health component, an environmentalist component, a civil engineering or excuse me, a civil, uh, not civil engineering. Uh, it was um. You know, civil planning, kind of city management kind of stuff. And um, major. It was. It was it was was mad cool. I wish I had finished it. (laughs) 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 Oh, I you know, I I took that and I thought that's where I was going. I was like, okay, I can do some cool stuff with this, but I was taking these anthropology courses as a side thing. I just liked the courses, right? Mm -hmm. And because I'm you know, stuck in the same system that that all kids in America where you have to predetermine and make all this planning. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is the major I'm committing to, but I'm going to take these classes and I'm going to have fun. I'm also going to take these African-American studies classes. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end of one by the time I finished, I was like, oh, well, I have a major in anthropology. Um, <laughs> and I have a minor in African-American studies. And I have this, I, I had one more class to finish in the, in the environmental analysis design But like many universities, um, they have weird rules. So like I had done an upper division writing. This is really specific. I don't, but I'll finish it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we're committed to this story now. (laughs) There's so I thought, and here's the thing: first generation college student, and I had help. But here's how like universities can kind of get you messed up sometimes. So I was told that I needed to finish a a upper division writing. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a college, like full on UC Irvine thing. Mm-hmm. When in fact it was a major thing, right? Yeah. And so what happened is, or what had happened was, is I did my <laughs> uh, upper division writing in anthropology and got that class done, but I didn't realize I had to do a, a, a separate upper division writing course for the, the environmental analysis design class mm-hmm. uh, or or major. And so yeah. it was my last year, my last quarter. I didn't have any more money in financial aid to come through. And they were like, You need to take this one last class. And I was like, How much is that going to cost if I take it this summer? And they said some thousands of dollars. And I was like, I don't got no money. So, and I was like, But I got, I got, I can get a degree and I can get a minor. I think I'm cool. I'll just go. <laughs> you know? Thank
1: you. Uh, I'm yeah, sure it would be very rewarding and all, but I'm out.
2: Right. You know? Um, and so how does that get to me being a psychologist? Well, during the same time, I was also, so I was learning about anthropology. Um, I was doing the African-American studies piece. And then I also uh, was working as a first-generation low-income um, program. Um, it was called our Student Academic Advancement Services Program. I was their outreach. Um, I was an outreach peer advisor and a coordinator for them. And so I was doing this kind of peer work with folks and, um, and doing, like, advising you know, interactions with folks and making workshops and doing the summer programming. And so at the end, I had literally, I graduated. I had this anthro degree. I had this experience with doing counseling and helping people from a paraprofessional student perspective, peer perspective. And, um, I was like, huh, I don't want to go and do field work somewhere. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to, you know, at the time I wasn't a big traveler. I was like, I grew up in San Diego, so I only really been like an hour and a half away from the house as an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just didn't appeal to me to like leave. And I had this really strong want to help my own community and my own home and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, this 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 thing about understanding people that I'm learning from the anthropology part could be used more locally, individually with people in my own neighborhood. Um, or in my own community in the United States if I did it from the perspective of psychology. Now, as a doctor of psychology, as a psychologist, before anybody gives you bad comments, yes, I understand to all my anthropology brothers and sisters and, and and cousins and family, yes, I understand you do not have to leave the country to do it. I was an undergrad, and I just had an idea of what it was supposed to be. I didn't know anything, which I think was good, though, because... Um, What I didn't understand was how much the advising interaction, person to person, like helping part was important, um, which goes back to the medical piece, like why I wanted to be a a physician was I wanted to help people, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. this is a way to help people. And so I ended up talking to um, uh, my older sister, connected me with who, who would become my future mentor. So um dr joseph l white who passed away and Dr. thomas parham who had actually known multiple in multiple ways as i went through uc irvine but i came to both of them at the end like hey you know what i graduated i got these degrees i don't got nothing to do with psychology how do i become a psychologist like Mm -hmm, (laughs) y'all and instead of kicking me out of their offices they took me under their wings and um you know uh here we are today
1: cool so i desired to kind of marry your interest in just humanity as a whole and understanding humans in general and also help you know individuals and a community in general kind of yeah. just eventually led you to your to and, and you so you did you said you see a in undergrad and then um where did you go for your
2: grad so i went um uh, because i i didn't have psychology courses under my belt really i went to to long beach state to get my master's in psychology and yeah. i did a, a basically it's kind of like a post-bac um like physicians they do that post back where they have to kind of do the courses and get their grades up so they can get into med school. Um, basically I did all of the upper division psychology work in one year as a conditionally classified graduate student at Long Beach State and then I got into the actual master's in psych graduate program did that for um, three years graduated with the MA in uh, research, focused psychology. And then I got into Southern Illinois University Carbondale for uh, the, the doctorate in counseling psychology. And so yeah. I took kind of a long route. Um, and it's interesting because, my background in anthropology and African-American studies and the social ecology piece. Yeah. Um, Cause really what that is, is, you know, I, I, and I played with it. I'm like, man, I should go back and get that last freaking class and, and, and get my mm-hmm. other degree. <laughs> but it's like, you know, when you deal with imposter syndrome as mm-hmm. a, you know, you don't, or imposter feelings. Every time I got into an academic space, as I moved forward, I always felt like I was like an imposter in the space. I, I mm-hmm. wasn't a psychology person. So now I'm in psychology courses. I wasn't able to go straight to the doctorate, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But when it came down to it, when I came into my master's in psychology and even my upper division psychology coursework, I had already had the experience of learning the discipline of anthropology at an undergrad level and the discipline of understanding like um environmentalism and, and public works and stuff. So I had this, like, whole kind of background, plus my African-American studies background I brought into it. And it's basically shaped me throughout the whole time I've been doing studies mm-hmm. so that by the time I got the actual doctorate, you know, I had a master's plus the equivalent of two degrees and a minor um, and other stuff, plus the full psychology, you know, because the uh, it wasn't – SIU isn't one of those programs where you get to kind of um, – <laughs> you don't get to transfer work. I actually, I was like, can I transfer my stats? And my, the professor at the time was like, so you're telling me you don't want to learn statistics as well as you could. And I was like, oh, Oh, boy, I see how this works. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to ask that again. (laughs) And so, you know, you end up with like a lot of, um, experience as well as like a lot of training. And, and so I'm I'm saying this not to be like, oh, look at what I'm, what I'm saying is, is, um, for the people out there who are listening to this who are maybe thinking about jumping into um, psychology but maybe you didn't start from the same place, don't let that limit you because you come in with that's the great. tools and with a toolkit and with experiences that a lot of your colleagues aren't going to have because they got to go straight through, which is fine. Sure. It just makes you it, – it, it gives you some specialties that other people don't have, and so that's, um, that's part of my work as a social justice um, multicultural competent psychologist person, like whatever you want to call that. Like, I think yeah. about culture from anthropology and from a a, a public, um, from like an anthropology and like a a, a practical public policy mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And so it 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 it's a big difference I find, and as I get farther and farther in, I start to realize like when I look when I talk to colleagues, I speak slightly different language. And it's not better, it's just different. And it gives like a different kind of idea about stuff because I'm not just thinking about this individual and their particular difficulty. I'm thinking about whole systems that they're in and like what can be done and what's practical. So it's different.
1: So Bedford, these days we start our show by asking our guests uh, how they've been doing during the current uh, trifecta of pandemic, economic crisis and the social justice moment. So how you been?
2: Um, well, I mean, it's, you know, and I'll, I'll go back to March, um, cause that's when we first started sheltering in place. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach this from my own personal self. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's rough, you know, it's, it's rough like everybody else. And, um, as a professor and as a clinician, um, it's, it's an interesting space to be in where, you know, you work. You, you you work in service to other people and you're helping them deal with the crisis, but you're still in the crisis yourself. And it's really not their job to care about what's going on with you, but you, there's still stuff going on with you, you know? And so um, I found it, it's, it's, it's just, it makes everything there's a layer of difficulty on top of everything. And if you know anything about like for folks who don't know this, like uh, one of the things that clinicians have to worry about all the time is burnout. You know, and so right. you're you're constantly doing things to take care of yourself because you're carrying all this weight that other people are sharing with you as part of your job. And so, when you are having a hard time, you have to be super careful so that you don't end up neglecting or doing something wrong in in terms of interacting with your your clients. Um, when you're sitting in a pandemic, you know, with a racial like uprising happening around you, yes. like you're going to be already at, you know, if you're, if you're on a scale of one to 10, where one is like most burned out and 10 is the best you're doing, you're going to be sitting at like a four all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everyone else, and you just kind of have to do stuff to compensate. Now, for me, I've always found that the way that I compensate with stress, which isn't always great. It's not usually great. It's, it's to do more stuff. So mm. I, I tend to pick up more projects and like try to do and try to hustle and and things mm-hmm. like that, um, which, to be honest, hasn't been as big of a deal, deal this time because I you know I'm um, I'm a new department chair, and yeah. so that job gave me enough extra stuff. If I'm be <laughs> super real with you, but like, um, yeah, I, I, it's 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 been interesting to kind of like do the self work and think about what's going on with me. Um, I'll, from a non-clinical perspective, I mean, I think that I'm experiencing the same stuff that people experience around mm. like the fear of the the virus. Um, I'm a high risk person. I have, mm. you know, I have more weight than I'd like to have, and I'm mm. I have asthma. So like, I've been me and my my wife, we've been very very conservative about it. So we've really been in the house since like March. Wow. We go out to get food and like you know we'll go to uh, to shop and we'll go. We have like a uh, you know, eat out days where we'll go and do pickup. Like we have our date night. Um, so instead of what normally would be our date night, where we go out, you now go and get something fancy from a takeout restaurant and bring it home and watch, watch a movie. Um, so we do those kind of normalizing things. But at the same time, you're still not able to like normally we would go on vacation, you know, and normally we would go see family and, and all that stuff, and you, you're not getting those 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 normal things in. Um, beyond that. You know, as a uh, opinionated person and a mm-hmm. person who pays attention, I've been pissed a mm-hmm. lot, you know, and not mm-hmm. before we even get into the like the 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 uprising stuff like you were like, I don't want to talk about Trump, but I'll talk a lot about Trump is horrible. <laughs> like Trump is horrible. Everything he's doing is horrible. He, I mean, the people who support him are I I I I'm so angry so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It's just like because because this this is preventable. All of it's preventable. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't be in this situation right now, and it's because this dude. I mean, I saw on the news the other day. He actually, I mean, some of this is on purpose. Like he mm-hmm. actually said to folks, like, "Oh well, those blue states are not our people." You know? How do you, you? You know? Like he he thought of this as a political thing. So he's like, these people are going to die. It doesn't matter because they're not part of my political party. And when I see, when I hear a white supremacist saying, not my people, I think he's really talking about not white Anglo-Saxon folks. Um, And for someone that despicable to be the leader of our country and to know that other people who I'm supposed to be calling fellow citizens, blah, 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 voted for this dude. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, it's 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 a it's constant, and then you add on the fact that during it, um, these abuses continue, which is you know no one expected them to go away. Like um, the the things that we're seeing on video about black people being abused and killed and murdered by police and white people and and white adjacent people, mm-hmm. uh, that's all normal. Like mm-hmm. that's not new. It's mm-hmm. not. It's never. It hasn't been new. It's been going on for hundreds of years. Um, It intensifies slightly when white people get more stressed out because basically Mm. when they get more stressed out, they become more dangerous and start killing us more. I mean, this is just real. If you look at even like uh, go back 100 years, so weird. 100 years ago, Spanish flu, you know what happened right after the Spanish flu? Well, 1919 is the red summer, right? Mm. So like during that whole time of stress and struggle after the wars and stuff – that's when all this crazy stuff starts. People start getting lynched. People start getting attacked, and communities start getting burned. And it's it's part of the zygote of this country. Like the 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 place where steam gets let let out are marginalized people. So people come home, beat their wives. People like persecute people with uh, uh, different uh, sexual orientations and gender and, and gender identities. Um, and and more than anything, this past time of this country is to like. Show that some people are okay by destroying the lives of Black people, um, and so that's happening now too. You got these stressed out folks who are going out and they're just beating up on Black folks, chasing folks down. I mean, it's 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 disturbing. Uh, mm-hmm. But I never like to say it's new. It's not. It's not about what's happening now. This is a systemic, institutional, societal, cultural issue that needs to be dealt with at the the base. Um, mm-hmm. And the base is white supremacy. Anti, yeah. and and specifically anti-black racism
1: mm-hmm. the american psychological association said that we're in a racism pandemic and when i saw that statement i'm like i can see the well-meaning behind it but sometimes time' like when have we not uh which is a little bit about what you're alluding towards um so yeah i guess i would just echo that that um uh, it's just we have to happen to have a trifecta of crisis at the same time that the economic pandemic and uh, racial uh, racial injustice uh, magnified in. Um, well, a real a real scope to it because of social media that magnifies it. Please go ahead. Well,
2: well, I I think that one thing people have been uh, and they they've you know they take terminology and they move it and they use it. Um, language is alive and all that stuff. But when people first started talking about there being this like pandemic of racism, I think that what people were really talking about was the fact that black people and brown people. Um, are more impacted by, in the United States, are more impacted Mm. by Mm. this virus than other people. Like there's more deaths and there's more infection and the behavior isn't different. So, and that's the big piece to understand. The behavior of people isn't different across these different demographics. It's just that folks are put in more vulnerable spaces and folks have more vulnerable immune systems because of the system of oppression that we live under. So if you think about who's the people driving buses and working in grocery stores and doing all the central work that's you know out there that when you go out and stuff have the mail people all that stuff UPS those are black and brown people primarily mm-hmm. you know yeah,
1: migrant workers food food service for, exactly. for delivery picking the exactly. Work, absolutely
2: exactly so like those folks are are now getting so much more contact than the folks who are probably like us you know I mean we're mm-hmm. privileged in this space mm-hmm. to. To, to be able to work from home and do all this stuff without having to worry about it and only having to go out on our own terms. Mm-hmm. The other side is that I mean, folks are not they don't have access to healthcare. When you do go to healthcare, people, I mean, like I, I can tell you, I at the beginning of this in January, I was sick uh, for most of January and part of February. And I don't want to say it was COVID. I don't know if it was COVID, um, mm, but it was it was scary. pretty severe respiratory problem. Lungs were all weird. I went in and <laughs> um, I'm so I'm still pissed about this. Um, I went into the emergency room. I was telling them I had tightness in my chest and that I was saying there was a lung issue. I've had these long standing things. And the emergency room tech says, "Oh, I think you're having an anxiety attack." Mm. And, and I look at her and I'm like, "Based on what?" And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, this is what's happening. So it must be an anxiety attack. I'm like, where's your clinical study? Like, what are you doing? Like, do you know why? (laughs) He's like, you don't want to do this, but you're like, dude, like, I know exactly what that is. And this is not that. I feel completely in control. You know what I'm saying? I am not worried about anything right now. My body, the the most, the thing that any anxiety symptom is coming from this pain in my freaking lungs. You know, and so it's like, but you come in and you're black. And you get that kind of stuff. They, they they don't want to do the testing. They don't want to check everything out. I had to force them to do a, a chest x-ray. You know, I basically had to push them and start, like, making intimations that I might, you know, that I knew stuff. You know, and, and, and like, what's your name again? You know, like, right. you're two seconds off of me asking for your license number because, like, yo, you're not going to kill me because you your racism. And that's what happens in these spaces. So black folks go in, brown folks go in, they ask for, and I'm a, let me say, black folks go in because, I, you know, there's this pressure to mm-hmm. bring everybody into it, but it's different for different mm. people.
0: Like, black yeah. like
2: people go into these spaces, they ask for help, and then it's not given to them, um, and then they die. You know, and people want to pretend like that's not the case, but this is racism is happening in the healthcare system, in the education system, in the work, in, in labor, everywhere in this country. Racism is everywhere. It's in the people. It's in the system. It's baked in. And that's the pan. You know, if you want to call that a pandemic, then fine, but the pandemic, any kind of negative thing that happens in the United States is going to more impact the people on the margins and the people who are considered mainstream.
1: Yeah, thanks for saying that because I really. I, I, I think that's a perfect segue that point I like we can you know there's this pressure to kind of lump uh, p- different minority statuses or intersections together but I think bringing a fine point to uh, black people in particular black men is one of the reasons that we brought you in because we we started wondering um, as part of the show um, as, as you mentioned Trump and Trump supporters one of the things that are happening right now in, in, in culture in general is Kanye West has become very prominent in in the media uh, both for his, his support for Trump and uh, the fact that he seems to have a, a severe mental illness and and uh, for his own mentioned report,
0: this. We should just say that uh, he uh, talked uh, openly about the fact that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder.
1: Yeah, and that I didn't know if he'd been kind of confirmed that, but they have a very open um, dialogue regarding the fact that he has a, a mental illness, uh, and the there just seems to be this extra confluence of racism and uh, particularly towards black men. So I was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that and if you can tie it a little bit to um, Kanye. The, that works.
0: Yeah, and if you don't mind, Leo, I'm just to add on, just yeah. in case any listeners, I mean, this is all over the news, but just in case they haven't been focusing on this much, just to be more specific, Kanye's had some public behavior recently that people think as evidence of a manic episode, especially since he's shared in the past that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. His wife, Kim Kardashian, also um, put out a note on Instagram saying that she feels he's struggling with some mental health problems. He said things like that he was going to run for president, which he seems to be getting his name on ballots. He said that Harriet Tubman never actually freed slaves. He said that his wife, Kim Kardashian, was trying to lock him up, like in the movie Get Out. It seems like the public, I think, has a really hard time knowing how to talk about Kanye as a musician, as someone who's been a Trump supporter, like Leo said and as someone who's struggling with mental illness that it's hard to kind yeah. of weave this compassion for the mental health aspects while being concerned about the implications of what he's doing and so just wondering about your thoughts on those things
2: well i think um i think the first thing to keep in mind is um and i and i've heard the um piece about this being a potentially a, a manic episode and Um, him having a diagnosis of bipolar, apparently that's been reported in the news, you know, as psychologists, we know we can't make those kind of diagnostics Mm. without like doing real assessment. Um, but what I can say is that if if he's acting erratic and is connected to, um, uh, like a manic episode or some sort of piece where he's not seeing reality, um, then, I mean, that's a, it's, it's, it's really not a Kanye issue. It's the issue of the people around him. You know, um uh, I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. I think the the guy um I'm going to be real with you. I mean, I'm not a big fan. Um and yeah. I'm a am a fan of like you know, what what do the young folks say his his stuff can slap, you know what I mean? Like it, it's <laughs> it's good stuff, you know, when he really like some, you know, like that yeah. that the the oh man, the one the toast one um where he plays the key I don't want to say all the we
1: Katie and I talked about this right before. I was like, yeah, you know, I like it's because, I, I, okay, there's a couple of songs that are like, I got a couple of bangers, but other than that, I'm not super yeah. into Kanye. But yeah. Katie? Like the ones that are dope. Go yeah. ahead, mm-hmm. Katie. Sorry.
0: Oh, no, it's okay. Well, say, I, yeah. Katie knows
1: more. She's, she's more. she's way more into her, her hip hop than I am, so. <laughs>
0: Sorry. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think he's got some really good songs and he supported some great musicians too. But I think that's, yeah, that's kind of separate from his political aspirations and how they have may have real world implications for us. So, yeah.
2: Right. And so I think like one of the things is you have to kind of separate the different pieces of this guy, like um, his artwork. and I, and, I, and let me say this um marginalized people in the united states particularly black folks get objectified immediately from birth Mm -hmm. like we're not seen as whole people we're seen as whatever stereotype you want to have and whenever we do something it's definitive of our entire character and it's definitive of the entire character of all the people who are like us like that is Kind of one of the the nasty real like things that happens in the U.S. around like black folks. So like when you're a kid, you get all this. I remember being feeling like I represented everybody for years, you know, um, and I still feel that way in a lot of ways. I mean, it's it's just a ground in into you. So when we talk about Kanye or any black person, um, I think that is important, or any person, but you know specifically for black folks, you have to like be able to separate them into different pieces. Um, the guy is a is a renowned and rightfully um rightfully renowned artist you know his his stuff the way that he works with music is is amazing you can't you can't take that away Mm -hmm. um that does not mean he's a good person character wise that does not mean that he's a person that you should support politically it's not even it doesn't even mean that like the dude is you know that necessarily smart or whatever you want to call it. Like he's really good with with music. You know what I'm saying? He's really a genius with music. That said him moving into politics and messing with Trump, you know, that, that is a problem. Um, and not because he's Kanye, but that's because anybody who's messing with Trump is a problem. Like the guy is a con man who's horrible. He does horrible things. He's like, tried to get people. He's worked to get people, innocent people killed uh, through the justice system. Uh, he's he's thrown his money around in ways that have hurt people. He, like, has been sued for discrimination and racism stuff. I mean, and now 160,000 people have died in the U.S. because he made COVID-19 a political issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we... It, oh, and he's also sending secret police to come grab people now because mm-hmm. that's, that's the country we live in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he... Kanye West getting into the guy's orbit and doing stuff around him makes him a persona non grata for me. Like I don't Mm -hmm. have nothing for him. I don't Mm -hmm. want to, I wouldn't want to work with him. I don't want nothing. Like the guy, I, I, I'll still listen to his music every so often because you know what, I still spend dollar bills, you know? (laughs) And so, you you know, it's like if, if, if I can, if I can interact with this racist, um, slaveholding, you know, raping founding father guy, then I can still listen to Kanye West. I don't have to deprive myself of that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think that that's kind of one of those things that you also get is this purity piece around, well, if you're a social justice advocate, then you can't partake of anything that's not socially just based on your particular Mm -hmm. worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, but no one else has that rule, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm, I'm gonna listen to what I want to listen to. I, I don't listen to this because he's a nice guy. I listen to it because the beat's good. Um, that, so kind of uh, let me organize this. The idea is that you got this 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 public figure who sucks, this political figure who doesn't make any sense, and you got this this really gifted artist. Um, and you can speak about them separately. When you add in the mental health component, then you you got to think about kind of that. That's not really about. I think people who talk about his mental health as a way to like make fun of him or do anything like that, they're engaging in immoral and unethical behavior um mm-hmm. because you, you that's not a reason to to mess with people mm-hmm. um the real conversation is is he vulnerable because of whatever diagnosis he might have and how are people using him um to further their own interests right so he kanye west is running for president in various um states not all the states nowhere near enough states is he even possible to like he's not a real candidate in terms of being able to win. Uh but he is on the rolls. Um he is on the voter rolls in, in in, certain states. Like, but this is all being done by the Trump folks. Like there was actually I was watching Rachel Maddow last night and uh they had a whole segment on how one of Trump's lawyers who's suing somebody else is the person who turned in Kanye West um uh, application for being on the ballot in Wisconsin. Mm, so mm. his whole this whole thing is being orchestrated by the Trump administration, which tells you what they think about using right. a African American man who maybe isn't necessarily able to make really great decisions about what's what's good for him and and mm. the people around him, right? So the commentary really is, is is just another example of you know white supremacy using black bodies to get what they want.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I think <laughs> that I, Katie and I talked about before I mentioned, it was like, and it also kind of gives me an idea of if as these operatives are spending that time doing that, or like how, how little do they think about uh, the black electorate or, or people in general, the electorate in general, that were like, yeah, okay, just because you could a person who may be well known or a renowned artist who happens to be black, all of a sudden people are just going to change their vote somehow in, in a meaningful way, as if there weren't uh Candidates uh, like Kamala Harris or uh, Cory Booker, who during the primaries were not, you know, by majority of black voters, they actually did not make it uh, into into candidates and we can get into reasons as to why that might be. But uh, to me, it just speaks to like how little they, you know, little thought or how whatever stereotypes they hold regarding uh, black people or black electorate, I suppose.
2: Well, I, I mean, I think that that's true. I also think that it can be effective. I mean, like, I, I I don't like the idea that people put out there, like, oh, people are too smart to fall for that. Like, there are people out here right now who think mm. that, like, the, the planet is flat, you know? Like, it's true. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when yep. you Individually, folks are pretty savvy, but when you add groups to it, we do weird stuff as human beings. Um, And so I think that the fact that he's allowing himself to be used in this way, The fact that he's being used in this way and the fact that it can affect the lives of so many people make it so that he's fair game to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think that when we talk about him, though, it can't be about we can't start to conflate his mental health with his character um, because that's not correct. And I think there's plenty of stuff to talk about in terms of a character that doesn't have anything to do with mental health. His connection to, to to Trump is not that that's been too long standing. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So a manic episode, if it, if this is what's going on for him, those last for a few weeks to maybe a month or so. You know, they don't really last for. They, you're not going to have a sustained episode for years. You know, and so his friendship, him building with that, that's about him being a dude who's trying, who's new money, trying to make money, and he sees this celebrity who's who's who acts as frivolously as he does. And so he finds that common. And he also is is just as, um, I mean, he let Trump invite him, to, or the Trump invited him to the White House and made him feel important. So now he's like, he was on Trump's um, docket, I'll say, <laughs> mm-hmm. for um, for that. I mean, it's an ego thing, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because him and Kim get to go in there and talk about stuff they don't know nothing about. You know, like, so instead of having... Uh, Black Lives Matter activists talk about the incarcerate prison and incarceration, or lawyers, mm-hmm. or anybody, a professor, somebody, someone who works in a prison. They had Kanye West and Kim come up, so mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so I, I think that that's the more stuff. It's like, what is how's Kanye making money off of this? Is a question. How's mm-hmm. how's how's that whole process? how's the whole Kardashian system benefiting from this? Because like, what's going to happen next season when the Kardashian, cause they're still doing that. I think they're still doing that, uh that reality stuff. Is this all mm-hmm. going to be on there? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and then and I, I'm going to give credit mm-hmm. cause my, my, my partner, Janae, she's, she's the one who said that to me. So I, I didn't come up with that by myself, but she's like, this is going to be, this is going to be on TV, you know? So yeah. now next, next year when the season comes out, we get to watch Kanye go through his crisis and then there'll be a cameo by the freaking president. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's more to this than just like looking at this black dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think that those are such great points. And one of the things that you said at first, if you don't mind returning back to, you said with regard to the mental health stuff that falls on the people around him. And I think that's connected to what you're saying that, for example, the Kardashians, right? Kim Kardashian her career is built on publicly airing drama that is it that is a huge that's her brand that's how she's risen to the top she's been quite successful at it what do you think the people around him so her message too i should take a step back her message that she wrote on instagram was basically because he is an adult there are limited things we can do What do you think the people around him could do, if anything, to influence him during this time?
2: I mean, I don't... I I, I take that as a really genuine... That's true whether it's true for them or not, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, if for anybody who's had to do caregiving for someone who's having psychotic... Like, a psychotic episode. uh, Or whether they have a heavily elevated mood episode. Like, those... It, it, you can't, like, with, without physically restraining people, there's very little you can do to to shift behavior when someone isn't on medication mm-hmm. and they're unstable in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you add into it a person who has access to, to millions of dollars and, like, infrastructure to get them wherever, he don't even have to go to a regular airport, he can just get on his own plane. You know what I mean? Like, that's, right. I, I would defy anyone to tell me that they're easily going to be able to control that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because people have a difficulty controlling a teenager who's who's having a hard time, you know what I mean? So like, how are you gonna control this grown person and and the reality is is that unless he's a unless he's deemed to be a danger to himself or to others or gravely disabled, right he can't right. do anything. and you know, if he's not in your state, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if he's not home, you really can't do anything mm-hmm. because that then we're talking about different mentalities like, you're gonna call from LA to this dude's compound and wherever in Chicago right. or something. And then you're going to get Chicago PD to go do a welfare check. But he don't even, if he doesn't come to the door, then they can't really do the check. And so, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's all these things that can happen. Um, so I, I, I would say that when I think about the people around him, I think that he's, he's responsible for his own mental health. He has a lot of resources. He could set things up, to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he is or isn't because, you know, the other piece to this is that the dude's a, uh, he, he, he he does a lot of stuff to get people's attention. So, right. you know, I don't know what's the mental health stuff and what's the, I'm just this dude who's going to be on and, and jump up on stages and take mics and stuff. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it, again, like, I don't want us to get into a space where we're diagnosing and, and, and attributing things to this you know, this could all be a publicity stunt. Uh, In reality, people really, the public got to get out of his business around his mental health and just think, and think more about like, okay, how is this guy affecting me? Um, In Mm. terms of his music, I, I, you know, I like this one album. I don't like this other album. I'm going to choose what I'm going to buy and consume in terms of politics. Like it's like anybody else in politics. We don't necessarily like that. He's doing this. He has a right to do whatever he wants, you know, and what, we can do is we can make judgments based on whether we think this dude is fit, whether we think that this is a manipulation of people. Like we can call this moral or immoral and we can do things like try to block him from doing things. Like if, if Mm -hmm. the Trump, if the Trump uh, campaign is running the Kanye campaign, I don't know. I think we need to ask lawyers. Is that, is that even legal? You know? So um, I think that's where that conversation really should live in terms of like talking about, mental health, severe mental health uh, issues with Black men. Um, I think that the the conversation really has to go towards resources and towards um, training of um, health workers and training of law enforcement and training of like all the different support systems to deal with Black men more based on humanity than what's normally gone out there, which is, you know, ridicule attack, aggression, um, and, and straight up murder, you know, like we're not allowed to be sick, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know, like, I I don't want to get ahead of us. We're going to talk about stigma a little bit later, but like, part of the stigma isn't just like, I don't want to be seen as, you know, having a mental health, mental mental illness. It's that as soon as I expose this, I'm putting my life in danger, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, I think that that's kind of where we have to kind of pull back to. It's like it's not Kanye West stuff. That's a political issue unless we're going to talk about actually doing changing infrastructure on mental health. And, and he's somehow part of that that discussion. But his individual mental health, that, that's none of our business.
0: Mm mm-hmm. hmm.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting. You bring a lot of points that I've been thinking about and I, quite frankly, don't have a resolution to it, but it's how do we, how do we compassionately straddle that line between a person's, as you mentioned, you said, I think their character and who they are as a person, their personality in general, uh, which may include, you know, political, uh, added, you know, inclinations or whatever, and also what may be their very true bona fide mental illness, right? And like, And At what point do I draw the line here? Here's where the person ends and here's the mental illness begins and, and that dichotomy probably is false or artificial and then the other one is i do wonder is how much is he perhaps receiving a harsher treatment as a black man in the spotlight than a, let's say a, a white similar celebrity uh that may be receiving um, you know more charity or not i, I there's pressures not any data that would go in one way in one that support one way or another i guess um but and then the other point that you've made, which is also what I thought about is like, you know, how much is this using a spotlight as, as they have very well capitalized uh, to shine on themselves and be like, okay, I want the spotlight now, but not now. Now, yes, now, no. And that's impossible to turn it off. And whether it's, you know, how much, how much it's real or, or not. But it, and, and it does also remind me of the last point that you made regarding both stigma, but also stereotypes. That exist about uh, black people in general, their, their physical, mental health. There was an uh, there was a, I know there was an article at uh, the proceedings of National Academy of Sciences that came out in 2016, looking at perceptions of medical residents. And, you know, they had you know like 50 percent of them and had you know believed things like black people had lower uh, you know higher tolerance to pain or their skin was somehow different in many ways that just completely not backed by any data whatsoever. And the effect that that had in mortality and the treatment of people in the in the in in medical rooms, for example. So all these these issues are very just tough and very, uh, you know, just fraught. And so I really appreciate your kind of trying to make that differentiation between all of that. And that's an interesting perspective. Thank you.
0: I like your framework, Bedford, which makes a lot of sense, which is we can look at different aspects of a person, not make one broad sweeping character decision based on the information at hand and that frees us to talk with more nuance rather than than trying to wrestle with you know does the mental illness excuse this does the public behaviors at the real him all of that stuff can be dealt with by just dealing with the complexities that exist
2: yeah and you know i don't want people to get the wrong idea none of this is excusable
0: mm-hmm.
2: none of it's excusable like He's impacting the livelihoods, the lives, like actual the 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 essential lives of people. You know, uh, if someone has if someone's having, for instance, a manic episode and they're deciding to be violent and they decide to come punch you while you're sitting there trying to have a drink in the bar, you mm-hmm. no longer have to worry about their mental health at that point. Now you have to defend yourself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, as a country, we do need to defend ourselves against Kanye West in the way that he's inter- interacting with mm-hmm. our. Um, our system of governance he is doing something wrong right now he's doing something unethical um and uh that needs to that needs to stop but that's also a function of the trump regime like Mm -hmm. that's it's not a kanye this is a kanye west as a expression of the trump corruption right Mm -hmm. and so if we're really talking about dealing with it it's, it's a trump issue
0: That's the end of part one of our episode with Dr. Bedford Palmer. We hope you enjoyed it and really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Stay tuned for part two of our discussion, which will be on our next episode. In that episode, we talk about obstacles faced by black men in seeking therapy, and we also talk about Bedford's beautiful children's book called Daddy, Why Am I Brown?, You can learn more about that on deeperthancolor.com and by following Bedford on social media, both on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. B.F. Palmer. Thanks so much for listening.